This is an Anami podcast. Hey, listeners. I still don't know what to call you, but uh, hello and welcome back. Um, for those of you listening, not watching, we have a screen behind me here, and it's uh, of the Hollywood sign, the hill that the Hollywood sign sits on, and I'm just looking at it on the monitor here and just kind of remembering how important that actual place was and is to me. Um, halfway through Ned's, my, my family bought a house up uh, Beachwood Canyon in LA, which is up near the Hollywood sign there. And uh, Hollywood sign was a view from our backyard and it was a really special time in my life. And on top of that, I went through, well, I was still living at home. I went through like a big breakup when I was, I think, 20. And um, I started running this hill uh, up to this, this tree that you can see in the, in the screen here. Um, and I, like all summer, I was like running up around the Hollywood sign and up to that tree and just like being there looking over LA and just kind of reconnecting to myself after a major breakup. I, I, I have always found major breakups to be obviously a painful time in your life, but such a beautiful time where you get to return to yourself. Because especially as young people, when we get in relationship, we just fucking throw ourselves at it and be try and merge with the other person and we create a, a we and we create a life that's fully entangled with this other half-developed identity. And when it ends, we're just left fucking wrecked and in pieces because we don't know who the fuck we are because we just like tried to merge with this other person and we couldn't and now we're not full and it's not full and it's gone, all that shit. So breakup time, recovering from that is beautiful, I have always found because I, I start to come back to myself and uh, yeah, a big part of my healing at one point in my life was running up in these hills back there. And uh, man, I'm really grateful for that time in my life. Um, today on the pod, we have uh, a very old friend of mine, um, a very talented, intelligent, and deep uh, human being. Um, her name is Allison Stoner. You might know her from her acting projects, you know, Camp Rock and Step Up and all the things she does there. You might know her from her dancing ability, um, from the famous little girl dancing in the Missy Elliott video, Work It. Um, you might know her now on social media for all of her social advocacy work. Um, but I've known Allison on and off since we were young. Um, we shared a manager at a time, and a lot of us young performers, if we're around the same age, we overlapped a lot. We just, we just know each other because we're part of the same community. So I've known her for years, and as we've gotten older, I, I really enjoy when I get to see her and getting to know her better. And she's going through a huge transition right now that I know I've been going through as well. Um, which is not just the general transition from adolescence to adulthood, but the, transi the transition from adolescent performer to who the fuck am I as an adult. And um, she's out there trying to advocate to make that 
process for young performers, um, smoother, more supportive and safer. And I love that. Um, she's also developing a company called Movement Genius, where she's trying to empower everyone with tools um, to manage what it is to be alive, stress and anxiety and getting into our bodies and, and creating well-being for ourselves and with, with very literal and practical practices um, that have to do with getting into our body. Um, so she's, at, she's in the middle of some major transitions, um, as I'm sure many of you are listening, as I am too. Um, I don't know if that ever ends in life, these like major transition phases, but I, but I think they come in waves. I think transitions are necessary and uncomfortable, and that's why they're necessary, is we only grow when we're uncomfortable. Um, and then I think somewhere along the way, through a major transition, we find some semblance of stability, and we kind of stay there for a little while, and we take a little break from climbing the mountain of our life, and, uh, and then something happens, and we're back in a transition, figuring out our identity or our life path or whatever it is. Um, Alice and I talk about a lot, as I knew we would. Um, we talk about her company, we talk about her advocacy work, um, but we also uh, talk a lot about uh, finding hope in life and reasons why it goes away and different, different ways to pursue or connect to wonder in our lives and feeling connected to the planet and the big life and love that is around us. Um, I didn't know we would end up talking about that as much as we did. Uh, but I'm so glad we did, and I, I feel right now um, like grateful that I had that conversation with her, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you now. So uh, make sure you like, follow, subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, all the things, um, and, uh, and share any of these conversations or clips that you might enjoy. Um, yeah, here's my conversation with Allison Stoner. We are sponsored by FrameBridge. FrameBridge, the custom framing company, is the perfect way to refresh your space for the new year by framing everything that matters to you. That's because... They can frame bridge just about anything, game day jerseys, selfies, your anniversary dinner menu, artwork, or your favorite movie poster. If you're like me, you have things in your house that you haven't gotten framed that are maybe just tacked to your wall because you are overwhelmed at the idea of dealing with a framing store. FrameBridge is here to help. Here's how it works. You go to FrameBridge.com. You upload your digital photo. If you have a physical piece to frame like a poster, they'll send you a complimentary packaging to safely mail it into their owned and operated studio for the framing to begin. 
You'll preview your piece online in dozens of frame styles. Choose your favorite. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your piece and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39. Order online at framebridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store near you to work with a designer in person. Um, this is a necessary service for all of us. I know you're like me and you just have loose willy-nilly photos and posters all around your house um, or little cheap dinky frames. Mm-mm, mm-mm. FrameBridge has all the goods for you, okay? Get started today. Frame your photos or give someone the perfect gift. What a nice gift to give someone. You give them a photo of like you guys and a nice memory or like their child or like their dog and you frame it for them. That's, that's adulting. Uh, go to framebridge.com and place your order today. Okay. <sighs> Allison Stoner. Hey. Hi. So yeah, we have a, there's cameras and there's like a video element, but really this is an audio medium. You know, hey. you have a podcast. Yes, yes, you know I how, do. Do you not film it? I will be, this new okay. one. And I did the first one called Simplexity, but it's been a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome back to podcasting. Thank you. Devin, I feel obligated to provide a disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> My opening statement is that... <laughs> <laughs> We've never had an opening statement. I okay. love it. Go on. This conversation has ripe conditions to go any number of directions because one, I trust you and I can count on one finger how many humans I trust. It's just you. Okay. Uh, I, I really accept that. Two, uh, I can use four other fingers to count how many hours of sleep I got. <laughs> and um, three, on my two-hour commute from the desert this morning, it actually was three hours and 45 minutes And I did not get a chance to eat any snacks. So really anything could happen. You're saying you're a little unhinged right now. (laughs) I am. That's how we like to bring our guests in. Starved and anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Which really is the title of my memoir. (laughs) Um, Awesome. I'm so glad to have you on. um, And I'm always glad when I get to see you. You moved out of L.A. I got out of there. You got out of this crazy, packed vortex mm-hmm. of traffic and desire. Yes. And uh, you ran away to a beautiful place. I did. A quiet place of solitude mm-hmm. where one could heal. Though it turns out, in silence, you hear everything in your mind. Yeah. And uh, a great chance to heal, but maybe not as peaceful as the image you have of the person on top of the mountain. Mm. They have a lot of stuff going on in their heads. Mm, I believe that. That's Mm -hmm. part of what I think most of us enjoy in the big city is we can distract ourselves. Yeah. From what's going on in our minds. That's right. Mm -hmm. Turn it into art. Come Mm -hmm. on, fire. That's true. Hey. Um, Your home is beautiful out there. Thank you. Congratulations. That is a very special property. Thank you so much. I feel the same way. It's really, I mean, it's, I think it's special and it's a step of uh, being an adult that I am nowhere near is owning my first property. Like, it's not even on the fucking radar for me. But does it have to be? Do you want it to be? At some point. I don't want it right now. I'm like fully content paying rent. I like to move every couple years and I like that part of it. But at some point, honestly, seeing your place, like that's going to stay with me. Like that is, that for me is like, 
an ideal version of what I, I don't think I'd ever own a place in LA. Owning a property in such a fucking beautiful, natural place um, is that down the line is definitely what I would want. So I'm gonna be inspired seeing seeing your spot. Um, so the first question I, I really wanna wanna ask you here is, I mean, the the main theme of of this show, even though I don't know, I talk with people about all sorts of shit, is the transition from adolescence to adulthood. It's mm. it's a kind of a vague process at this point. It's a gray process. Some, t- some things you advance in and other things you're still a child in and right. some things uh, you know, you're like held back on but other things you're like, you really got down and it just happens slowly I think over time. I'm guessing well into our 30s. I mm. really started to feel like my adult self was more settled uh, at 30, like when I turned 30? Yeah, this year for me. I'm 29, turning 30. Yeah. It's like, okay, I am a fully baked human. And in fact, I'm fully baked and now I'm declining. <laughs> yeah, you, you've already hit the peak and you're coming back down. Because <laughs> well, once you're at the top, you're like, oh, shoot. I've been focused on developing here. And now apparently I've gotten to the other side. And yeah. I just want to preserve as long as I can. No, I think it keeps expanding okay, in hey, our 30s. I'm, I'm into that. I, I really do. I think... I think Fuck medical I, theories. I, yeah. Well, yeah. no, not just the mental. Yeah, I know your brain develops at 25. But no, I really think in our 30s, we just finally have enough information about life mm. that we can actually start making decisions that can yes. grow and build something. And hopefully also self-advocate. Yes. Whereas no, for so many years, right, you're like, do I have a voice? If I use it to assert needs, will I be punished? So Yo, that then you is reach it. a point, I guess it's the subtle art of not giving a fuck a little bit. Plus, like maybe you just also don't have the patience or time anymore to, you have so many decisions to make. They're like, actually do need to just say, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And maybe, maybe starting to get clearer on answering that whole, what do you want question. Yeah. But that's still kind of an enigma for me. Same, same. Although I think when we're young, you think you know what you want, clearly. You're like, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And again, you don't have enough information until later in your 20s, 30s. I don't think to really understand the scope of what that means. Like legitimately, when I was looking at Piaget's model, which is, you know, it shows multiple developmental phases and it's an incomplete theory, right? It's not perfect. But I was reminded that from ages zero to two, you're in sensory motor land. So you're literally only interpreting the world through sensory experience, no language, no complex processing, not verbal communication. Um, And then two to seven, you still are like, it's a blur between fantasy and reality and you're you haven't really started to form logic until around seven to eleven and then eleven or twelve and beyond, you know, it becomes a little bit more complex. But when I go back and think about the fact that we were performing at that age, we were asked questions on set or on or, carpets yeah. about like, what do you want to do with your life? And what do you want? And what's your take on this social issue? And like I actually cognitively didn't even have access to logic yet. Yeah. Like, so yes, your ideas are based on, you know, a very 
narrow understanding of the world. And you can't even possibly fathom the implications, long-term implications of a choice. Yeah. So like, yeah, how many things did we think we wanted, but if we got them or maybe we did get them, we're now like, oh, that's what that entailed. Yeah. Hmm. What? <sighs> yeah. Soak it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Integrate that. Performing has been a deep part of your life and also a deep reckoning now in your adult life, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you said something the other week when I saw you along the lines of you're not acting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And you're... You're, you said it like that, with enthusiasm. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of those things you're talking about, that not knowing the implications of mm. what it is to actually do it. I have kind of gone through my darkness with what comes with pursuing this that I didn't know as a kid. Um, and I've come through the other side uh, recommitted mm. and in now my adult vision of what it is to pursue this thing. But I know many of us young performers come through that in all sorts of different ways. And move to the desert. Yeah, and move <laughs> away from LA and right. let it go. And I like, uh, wow, I when you said it, it was, I kind of heard you say it in interviews, but hearing you like say it in person when someone asked, I was like, oh, whoa, like Allison's like out. Yeah, what's interesting is technically I'm still on two shows. So <laughs> <laughs> um so you're out emotionally. I'm no, I I'm invested in the collaboration mm. with that cast and crew and I believe in the writer's vision and also it is ironically now the steadier form of income. So it does it does fulfill, you know, that purpose That's to awesome. some degree. Yeah. Um, but my just orientation is so focused on the company, learning what it means to be a founder, an entrepreneur, um, that I'm simply not immersed in it, uh, nor do I fear um, the consequences of making all kinds of decisions that I used to deprive myself of doing such as moving away or having any sense of a personal schedule and personal life. Because what if I have to audition? Right. What because, if I have to ah, be there? And what if I have to? Right. Yeah. And then also um, speaking up candidly about experiences to bring reform to the industry, knowing I don't have to be employed by any of you ever again. Yeah. So there's a liberation there Yeah. Um, and an empowerment. But I, I actually wanted to initially follow your path of finding the new love for it and the new understanding and approach. And for now, once I dared to face the fear of walking away um, and I realized that I was going to survive on the other side, I'm recognizing just how important it is for my journey and development to tap into all these other parts of myself that were just offline because I was only focused on performing. Yeah. So I know for some of my friends, they're like, we love music. We love storytelling. 
we need to communicate through art. And I'm like, I really want to read that academic paper on the mind-body connection. And so I want to track with that for a little bit, see what else is there. Maybe I'll, you know, bridge them. Maybe, maybe... I will, you know, be a failed entrepreneur and have to be like, oh, no, the only thing I know is how to dance. <laughs> um, and that's a possibility. Like, if y'all see me in five years back on camera, just know it could be for the a business host of reasons. didn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that, that entertainment is your fallback now. <laughs> and that brings us to lessons I should have learned growing up about <laughs> stability and structure, <laughs> but didn't. No, it is a it is a weird thing. I I I do feel a kinship with everyone who was a child performer. Yeah, it's different when you grow up wanting to perform, but you kind of follow a normal path, and later in life you have enough life experience outside of performing that then you come to LA and then you come to pursuing this life and you already kind of have a rounded out idea of what else is out there, what it's like to pursue other things. Um, And then you come to it kind of with, I don't know, adult responsibility and gratitude Mm -hmm. for figuring it out. Sure. I I feel a kinship with all of us child actors because it's different, man. It's different when you grew up in it feeling like it was somewhat normal. Also... um, Thinking it's ev- everything. I mean, sure. our, our whole the lives bubble. were, it's a bubble. Our whole lives were this pursuit and being the right kind of good and answering questions and the right kind of amicable and mm-hmm. do they like me and am I being perceived well and put on the smile, babe, and right. all that stuff. Um, so I, I know all of us are... Recovering. Yeah, just well, recalibrating. Some us, yeah. yeah, some of us. I, I had a particularly good version of this industry because of the jobs that I ended up on. I, and I think that's luck of the draw. Like, like the top of the hierarchy that you work for is really going to set a lot of the tone. Sure. And I talked about it actually with Christy on mm-hmm. uh, Vulnerable a little bit. was like uh, the Neds cast. Like we had a particularly good experience on Neds. Cool. Um, because our creator was an incredible man and his wife was involved and the kids were on set. Like oh. it was a family production. That wasn't a... It wasn't Dan Schneider. Oh, Mm-mm. okay. It was Scott Fellows. Oh, okay. Who it feels like Nickelodeon kind of like treats like a fucking stepchild, even though Scott Fellows is a good human, creates good content, and all of his content has a genuine intention of like Mm. actually helping the viewer at home feel less alone in their actual lives. Mm -hmm. Like That's how I feel about Dan and Swampy, uh, the Phineas and Ferb creators. Different Dan. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, that's the difference is, is who's at the top is really going to dictate your experience. So I had a particularly good version of the child acting, even though it comes with all sorts of shit. Sure. I know you're out there with Christy working to advocate to help this industry. Yes. And yeah. help protect kids. Mm-hmm. How's that going? It's going swimmingly. Every time we open our mouths, the union just listens and, <laughs> and 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 reforms their own policy it's without perfect. us even asking. Um, so I think it's helpful context for people when they're wondering why, you know, someone who's experienced such privilege and fame and notoriety and, you know, success of a kind that they're saying, you know, 
behind the scenes, it was bad. Sure. Um, and, and something I like to start with is it's so peculiar that child labor uh, is covered by federal law, but child entertainers are exempt from those laws, which means kids have to rely on each individual state to create regulation specifically for child entertainers. And 17 states, many of which are locations where a lot of productions take place, don't have any laws for kid entertainers. Mm. So the kids on those sets are actually literally, legally, the least protected people on that set. And so I don't think people recognize that at a legislative level, there's a lack of protection, but then also culturally and systemically, there are a lot of odd forces and surprising factors for families who come into the industry not knowing what to expect because, one, the industry wasn't designed with kids in mind. Yeah. It wasn't a, an educational, you know, schooling institution. So most of the adults on sets or the executives a part of the project, they're not educated on child development. They're not trained on what's appropriate. Um, so so you just enter an adult workplace That's it. and you're treated like, like the adults. Kind of like an adult, yeah. Right, and adult responsibilities. You know, there's some work hours that are limited, but even then you're like still in rehearsals before that and going to other auditions after and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then also, of course, the industry wasn't designed with human well-being in mind. Most industries aren't. They're trying to accomplish a, a goal, a, a goal and, and make money. And so really what I'm calling to, you know, the forefront is these opportunities to improve conditions so that we can reduce the statistically evident suffering that we see for this population. But it does not mean that I'm trying to say, woe is me, feel bad for me. It's really like, hey, now we have information. We're far more publicly educated about mental health, psychology, and we know that A plus B equals disaster for this kid. So why don't we make it better? I'm not even going to tell you to, to burn the whole thing down. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you that it's any one person's fault. I'm going to say, let's just start doing better today. Yeah. Just like in our healing journeys, it's like, I, I'm responsible for the way that I treat you. Even if I could say, I'm this way because all these things happen to me. Sure, maybe. Yeah, but, like, but you're responsible I'm, now for your behavior. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just thinking about kids now who also have to deal with the digital landscape, which is... Yeah, that's a whole other element that we didn't I know. even have, and I'm so glad. Um, yeah, yeah. I also think a ton of it, which is hard to legislate, a ton of this comes down to parents. Aye. And that that's just like any childhood. Right. Any childhood. Most of what's good or bad is going to come down to how your parents are. Yeah. And that you can't legislate. That's all sorts of family shit and personal but responsibility. what if Go on. when kids and families were meeting with agents, a part of the onboarding process of signing the contract was just like a 10 video set of modules sort of saying, here's what to expect. I love that. And including things like, did you know that sometimes, you know, your child before auditions or after auditions might experience some dysregulation emotionally? Here are some simple stress relief techniques. Or did you know that once your child becomes famous, if you experience fame, 
you're going to have a split set of identities, the product and brand, the creative self, and the true authentic kid self. Yeah. And like, here are some ways to have conversations about that with your kid. So like, you're not wrong. You know, we could, yeah, you're not wrong. We could, we could provide some of those tools, whether or not people watch them or absorb them is of course another thing. Yeah. But then on sets, like, I think there are ways to help reinforce and just remind people of their, you know, quote unquote rights. So they, so folks don't feel so disempowered, but you establish a, a work environment where there's like just an acknowledgement of, Hey, we got, we got little, little folks on set. Yeah. So like here, here's some things that we do on this particular set, which really probably should also be on every set. Right. And again, a lot of that comes down to luck of the draw because it's also on what studio teacher you have because the studio teacher is the welfare worker. And we had, again, on Ned's, we had incredible studio teachers. Who are your studio teachers? Do you know Scott Plimpton? Mm, No. I mean, he was with us most of the time and then he was on iCarly, I think. But but incredible educator, first of all, incredible teacher Mm. and a welfare worker. He was there going like, yo, there are laws and we're beyond them. And like, that's awesome. I'm the bad guy for that. Yeah. And he'd take it. A lot of studio teachers don't, but again, that's a luck of the draw thing. Who you end up with on your set. We had some great studio teachers here and there. I remember Laurel who was very strict, but I actually appreciated that because she was one of the few adults who would discipline us and and your kids you need some discipline yes i mean yes because <laughs> the whole set's kissing your ass yes yeah and um sat satwinder i uh, was on one or both of the camp rock films um and i'm still in touch with him and i just think of the ways that they were navigating so many different roles. Yes, they're supposed to be the teacher. Yes, they're supposed to be the welfare worker. But they also have to just keep an eye on, like, these are young kids who are working long hours and taking on a lot of pressure. Like, they have to be able to perform and do their job contractually. So, so yes, they need to finish this history paper, but, like, maybe actually they need a snack first. Yes. So there were there's, no, that- there's a lot no, and the good ones, the good ones are good, and it makes sense why a lot of them can't fulfill all those. And ours did. Yeah, there were times. For those of you that don't know, it's like there are child labor laws, at least in California. Uh, we would work a nine and a half hour day, I think, a half hour of that is lunch, and three hours of that had to be school that you can only get in 20-minute chunks. Like you can't do 10 minutes and have it count towards that three hours. So mm-hmm. anytime we weren't filming they're rushing us to school so that we could get that three hours in the workday. Um, but there are times where like you were just filming for two hours and you're like so tired and then you go in and you're supposed to do a lesson. Yeah. And there were definitely times where like our teacher would know like, all right, let's do something that's not your schoolwork, but is kind of restorative, but also not you just like playing a, a video game. Yeah, yeah. Like there's ways to navigate that, but that's, I mean, that goes the same for any public thinking, school yeah. is, some teachers really have that magic and that overall whole awareness of, of child development Mm -hmm. and some don't. Right. Or simply maybe as educators haven't yet implemented the various techniques you can use to engage young people. But I imagine for teachers, it's so hard when you have 
20, 30 kids. Yeah, yeah, 30 kids who are so different from each other. Yeah. And, you know, some are tactile and, and some can't sit still and, 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 and shouldn't developmentally. And, you know, some are, are verbal, some are visual. And you're like, okay, I have to – and then you have the pressures of standardized testing in yeah. the system, right? So I'm like, I get, you know, teachers – any any adults in our lives, I know ultimately, like, a lot of you were just doing your best. Yep. Because I imagine if I had kids right now, I'd be like, oof, on my four hours of sleep and all of these different things that have happened already today. If I'm also raising a child, oh. like, my my heart goes out to parents. For my sure. sister, I think of my sister and her, her kiddos, like, she's my co-founder of the company. And sometimes I'm like, how are you managing all of this? Because I just became an adult this year. Yeah. I'm barely <laughs> taking care of myself some of the time, right. let alone another human. Yeah. Um, but I did keep plants alive. Hey, good for you. Mostly. Until you leave. Until I am now leaving <laughs> for a long period. So I had to get, yeah. Uh, to did you bye. have a favorite subject in school? Because I know now as an adult, I see you as someone who's very into learning a lot of different subjects. Ah, what, what do you see when you see me? I mean, obviously the arts, but but that's like hmm. a given in, I'm, I'm asking like in school, but what, what would you have liked in school? Um, I don't know, English, <gasps> literature, you know, stories, grammar, all that fun stuff. Punctuation. Yeah, am um, I right? I did enjoy English. I felt nervous about science because it seemed like, for some reason, it was for other people and I didn't belong in that subject. However, as I got older, I realized that's my jam. Um, but it could have been also because at that time, I was still following creation theory. And when I read about evolution I was like no 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 that's not what my pastor said and oh, so I had some like fundamental deep schisms dissonance there. yeah um wow so that's a journey at what age did you <laughs> let go of creation theory oh <laughs> I didn't know this it really sticks with you okay um, okay um hmm. I didn't know you grew up super religious I you want to know it's even wilder yeah my family wasn't. I chose it. Oh. Devin. You're such a little weirdo. I love it. I know, but <laughs> but it makes sense because I'll, I'll make it make sense in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> First of all, there was chaos all around me in the industry. Okay. There was also chaos in my home. Very dysfunctional family. Lots of abuse, addiction. And the two people in my life who seemed to have some semblance of sanity and balance were both... Uh, kids in families of faith. So they invited me to join them for service. And it truly was my first glimpse at genuine community. Um, I learned so many of the values that stay with me. Yeah. Um, especially in terms of integrity, like who I am in private is, yeah. is hopefully who I am in public in, in the sense that like I'm not trying to secretly uh, behave one way and and then right. lie to the you know right your values are your yeah. values yeah yeah um because now I'm like well actually there are definitely things now that I'm different in private um but yeah I I'm grateful 
Um, I'm grateful for also the the introduction to uh, spirituality in terms of going beyond just the material, physical realm. Um, and I would say around 18, it was when I realized that I was attracted to my first girlfriend that it started this whole it was a ripple effect, right? Because I was like, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do this. It's wrong. I need to change this. I'm trying to change it. It's not working. Um, I don't want to just justify this, but like, what else, what am I missing here? Reaching a point of being like, oh, I guess, I guess I, cause there, sorry, there are a lot of different theories. So there's like Calvinists, there's uh, Arminian camp. There's a lot of different theological frameworks one of them is this concept of predestination which the reduced version of that is like y'all were already selected before you came into your body here so if you were chosen great if you weren't sorry and I had a moment where I was like oh my gosh I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to ever make it I wasn't ever supposed to be saved I tried to be a part of this group but I, I guess I'm I guess I'm destined for hell and I was already predestined because you were attracted to a woman because I was attracted to a woman yeah yeah I know it's so sad because women are so amazing I agree yeah we could talk (laughs) for hours we'll do that after the pod okay (laughs) that's that private shit (laughs) that's that private shit yeah so (laughs) hey growing up um we're grown now so yeah so i no i get it that's a huge identity worldview yeah i deconstructed you know i'll spare you all of it but like yes i was much older than i think many Hmm. people are in their kind of like self-discovery journey it's kind of a late bloomer i would say I mean, like, I believed in Santa till I was, like, 13 or something. That's pretty late. It's pretty late. It's pretty late. My family, in my defense, kept up the gig. Gag? Gig. Gag. Both. (laughs) Yeah, it was a gig for them. Because (laughs) I would write a letter to Santa every year. And you know who would sign it? Santa. Yeah. And... And you know who Santa was? (laughs) Your fucking parents. (laughs) No, no, no. No, because guess what? One time... They had to call in favors from other people because we were out at a family dinner and by the time we got back, there were presents under the tree. Wow. Tell me. It's my parents. It wasn't. Because <laughs> I was Directly. with them. Yeah. All right. This is a little tangent, but... So now I, I'm all about science. I, <laughs> <laughs> this is a little tangent for a second. I don't, I don't know. I, I am open to my mind changing when I actually have children in front of me who are mine. Um, but as of this point... I don't judge parents who do do Santa with their kids, but uh, as of this point, how I feel is I want my children to know that my word Mm. is truth. Mm. I want my children to know that they can trust what I'm telling them Mm -hmm. from a very early age, that Mm -hmm. I am sound, that I am integrity, that like, hey, Mm. I got you. So as I sit here as a 31-year-old single man with no prospects of having a child... I don't want to do Santa with my children. As much as I loved the magic of it, mm-hmm. I don't want to create this lie that then it's this confusing process when it starts it to really unravel. Was. And there's never like a deep kind of reckoning. Just no. slowly you start to get information and eventually one day you're like, 
Oh, I guess I'm with all of you who are telling me it's not real. Oh, it's not real. Same with the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, that one I was less. Oh, into. I was in on that. Man, you're into. You're in. You're in, and your parents kept it up. Surprisingly <laughs> gullible for yeah. being so skeptical. Yeah. Um, maybe I was trying to retain any semblance of a normal childhood. Yeah. You know. Yeah, maybe it has something to do with that. Something. Um, something but like thank that. you for sharing about um, what brought you to your Santa. faith. That. No, that makes so much sense is having examples of, wait, these people who follow this Mm -hmm. seem good and stable. Let me go there. Yeah, and I will actually still even go as far as to say I believe that you can can access dimensions of truth. You can can still have legitimate – experiences that are transformative and that are, uh, you know, um, multidimensional. Um, and, uh, what in my journey so far I've discovered since deconstructing is that, uh, I don't necessarily want to get glue, become glued too much to one Americanized, modernized, capitalistic, militaristic, nationalistic, uh, interpretation of a text. Spirit. Yeah. Um, and I invite folks who are still in the church to, um, to believe that if what you're really pursuing is truth, if you stay committed, you will land in this place of truth. So until... You've gone all the way through and through. I'd say keep going, right. keep exploring. Right, read more. Yeah, listen to more, hear <laughs> more, see I'm more. Like, I'm really giving away my cards here, but yeah. um, but I think I reached a point where I was like, if God is love and truth and goodness and and wholeness, if I continue to pursue these pillars, I trust that whatever isn't God will fall away. Mm. Um, I'll get a new, you know, maybe a new understanding of each of these things or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what I call love now is very different than what, um, how I defined love, uh, while I was in the church. There is the side of it that we know to be toxic. And I, I'm, I know there are contemplative Christians. Yeah, There totally. are oh, yeah. contemplative, devout, religious people in all forms. And... Still, when it comes to certain like synchronistic uh, events in life that you're like, whoa, how did that happen? I still just recently, there was a former, um, she's also, I think, deconstructed since, but um, at the time she was a Christian. I was a practicing Christian. I really looked up to her um, for her music. It like was a balmy salve in some of my darkest experiences in the industry and with Mm. my family. And I have no real life relationship with her. But about a a week ago, I've been in quite a, a challenging spot personally. And I was, you know, just roaming my home and one of her songs popped in my head and I had that moment of like, wow, this used to be so soothing and comforting. And although I've, you know, I've, I've maybe adjusted some of my views since then, this is still um, striking me in a certain way. 
I opened my Instagram DMs and she messaged me. I don't have any relationship to her. And she said, hi, I felt a nudge. How are you? And so in that moment, I'm like, even if I'm no longer fully involved in the way I was, there's still a currency energetically. There's still some sort of something at certain times that seems to defy um, just my like material logic, right? So we had a, we're gonna you know have a conversation in the next couple of days, and even though she too I think has left the church, the thing that we we share is some sort of I don't know. Tell like tell me any other way. Yeah. What? Who? No, that's one of those moments that right? so make like, you question <laughs> reality. You're like, right. whoa, some there is a connection here that's yeah. deeper than I can see. Right, right, right. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be from a from a single figurehead saying, no. I just am going to arrange Not this thing all. like a mastermind. Um, but it's it's something that goes beyond maybe the faculties we typically uh, utilize on a daily basis. Yeah, um, some of my development in my teenage years around feeling wonder towards life and actually Mm. tilting me more towards, I use God as the word. I don't even know what that fucking means, but we have that as the word. But something that pointed me more towards God, which doesn't happen for a lot of people, was actually a science show, okay? There's a show on the BBC called Wonders of the Solar System with Brian Cox and Wonders of the Universe is the next season. And he does such a beautiful job at explaining the forces that we know of the physical universe, okay, and and the solar system. And in the show, he'll he'll kind of show an example of something on Earth, a force that we all know, let's say tornadoes, and say, okay, that same force that's creating the tornado is what spiraled the planets into each other. And then he'll expand out to the solar system and show you something in the solar system and how it works. And... The solar system is such a phenomenal phenomenal balance of chaos and order. Mm. It's so immaculate that learning about the science of it actually led me closer to whatever God is. Mm. Because I was like, this is so beautiful and Mm. perfect and rhythmic and harmonious and miraculous that it even exists. Mm that it led me closer to my own wonder. And I think that's a beautiful place to be in that I think a lot of the church ends up not being. Is it's not about wonder. There's like a middleman to God and it's about like, I don't know, whatever your practices are and do that. But for me, when I feel closest to this life is like that experience you just had, I'm sure put you in a state of wonder. I randomly felt this song come back into my head This person is messaging me saying she had a feeling to check in on me and I don't know her. That creates wonder. You go, what? I wonder what this life is. I wonder how good it could be. I wonder what I'm a part of. Right, right. And it brings up the concepts of like resonance and or something like alignment. And it was the first encounter with that sort of mystifying wonder and awe that I had had in a while and so I if nothing else you know if it if it all boils down to just molecules doing funny interactions I still am so 
grateful of that aspect, the reminder of that aspect of being alive because I've been maybe in response to, you know, my, my upbringing, I've probably been swinging to the opposite side of the pendulum, you know, and I have this kind of like nihilistic, nihilistic streak. Um, and I support the skepticism, but I don't want to completely forsake wonder and awe. Um, also I think just in a met when you, as you're growing up and you're facing more directly the crises that, you know, we collectively are facing and you're interacting with systems that are broken and need repair and you're reckoning with all of these things that weren't ideal in your upbringing or, or for the folks around you, it can get heavy quickly and you can wonder like, wow, I used to have access to hope, but I can't find it. I used to have access to joy, but I can't feel it. Or or I don't believe in it anymore because it's everything else seems so grim. And so I think, you know, that moment was like a, whoa, a reminder of the full spectrum of experience. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm grateful for it for whatever, you know, whoever, whatever caused it. Um, And I don't need to know all the answers, but I can use that experience and information to really reflect on, okay, what do I want to do with this opportunity to connect with someone and to maybe, maybe, you know, kind of recalibrate uh, my course so I'm not so far in one direction or the other, yeah. but I'm like, okay, meandering as a full human. Yeah, you still have access to possibility and yes. hope. Ugh, because because well, depression is real. <laughs> no, I mean, it really hit me when you said that because living without it, it, it is really hard and it's a natural process that you come to. I had a lot of hope and optimism as a young person. I, I experienced a lot of wonder. I had a lot of good things, a lot of blessings in my life. Um, and at a certain point, life started to break down. And and then, like you said, when you start actually learning about the systems that are governing so much of our lives and how just dumb and broken they are and so uh, non-caring they are mm-hmm. and, and how much they could be fixed but fucking won't be, yeah. it's, it's a natural conclusion to start giving up wonder and hope and optimism and even activism mm-hmm. and just go into fucking cynicism or survival or whatever and and just over x amount of years through my 20s i didn't even realize like i don't think i had felt hope in a while wow um and Mm. when it started to come back it it really hit me how much i had been living without it Mm -hmm. and you fucking can't you have to have some sense of wonder in your life because no matter what is happening, this life is still fucking amazing. Mm. It's mm. still amazing. Mm. Yeah, I, I felt revitalized. Like I connected to vitality again. Yeah, life and force. Yeah, truly. Yeah. And I, 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 I have so much empathy for people in the space where you really lose the sense of purpose, things just really feel quite meaningless. Yeah. And 
and you, you, you're looking even for a sense of self and that's kind of hard to find. And so I, I, I now more than ever, because of this recent period, have access to those palpable experiences. And, you know, for me, what, what feel like pretty empty and pretty heavy and, um, and so I, my heart feels such a tenderness when I hear other people also experiencing that. And it's not like I've, you know, I've had a moment of reconnecting with hope, but it's not like I'm actually, you know, out of it yet. I think yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still kind of like, no, where, same. what do I have? What, who, what can I rely? What, where is hope? What would that look like now? What does it mean? And so I, but those small little moments and glimpses I'm recognizing now are like those, you know, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel where I hear people talk about this, where they're like, I was just holding on to this one little thing and that's what I needed to, to, to choose to, to stay here or, or whatnot. And so I'm like, wow, that's real. Like to your point, those moments of revitalization connection to other or life itself or planet is like there those are sustenance yeah like literal sustenance yeah. needed for your life yes, yeah. necessary to be alive yes 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 like yes, yes, truly yes. sustaining do you think i'm realizing do you think what's happening oh no <laughs> well I was, I was gonna say i remember growing up seeing adults who seem to like lose the magic and then be like, I'm so glad you youthful folks can help Feel reignite, joy. <laughs> uh, yeah, help reignite our, our sense of hope in the world. Um, do you think that maybe we're going through a part of that, our, our version of that? Absolutely. As I've mm. gotten older, I've understood a look that I saw in certain adults' eyes when I was a kid Whoa. that was just a little disconnected, a little dead they're there wow. but like I remember seeing this look and not really knowing what it was and now I get it and I feel for everyone yeah what they've gone through to get to that place where they've kind of given up they can't find it they can't find their footing they can't find and sometimes life is just tiring that, yeah sometimes like you're it, just fucking exhausted it's taxing and it's, well, taxes, <laughs> and it corrodes your... That life force, yeah. that, that spontaneity, that wonder, yeah. that joy, but it's necessary. And I, I think, I don't think anyone is exempt from this process. This yeah. is yeah, right. the, this is life. This is what our ancestors have gone through. This is what everyone through time has gone through yeah. is meeting the impossible, insurmountable chaos of life around you. Yeah. Having it take you through some process of, of shutting down, contracting, despair even, like whatever it is. And part of, I guess, I think all of our life's mission and our ancestral mission is continuing to find our moment here and mm. still feeling wonder and imbuing life with fucking... Love, creativity, connection. Resilience. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, what comes to mind if we're talking about lineage and, you know, genes and, and what gets passed on, um, we have to also recognize that biologically 
the reason we're here is because some of our ancestors had enough anxiety to recognize the threat and and stay alive because there were other ancestors who looked at the lion and were like "Mm, that might be a lion or it might be a rock and so I'm gonna bet it's a rock and they didn't make it. So some yeah. of our, you know, some of the anxiety coursing through our bodies that some can be frustrating to feel yeah. now is a result of what helped us survive as a species. Yes. So like, yes, we got to learn how to how to say, okay, we we have these deep deep mechanisms, defense yeah. mechanisms, and and how can we learn to you know um, negotiate them and navigate them now yeah. differently, but. You know, we we just have to ad- admit, like yeah. Oh, I think it's one of the hardest parts of our yeah. our current lives is that biologically we developed for a very different world. Yeah. And what kept us alive were things that are now driving us all insane. Uh, the fight or flight mechanism is what our species survived with, you yeah. know. But now it's triggering on all sorts of things, and uh, we can't catch up. And yeah, yeah. we got to have a little grace and a lot of education and a lot of just like being with ourselves to try yeah. and like integrate these things with right. our modern world and our modern selves. Well, right. Because so technology is going at like this speed. Yeah. Our biology is like this speed. Exactly. Our systems are like this speed. Yeah. And I forget, I you know, I heard this from, from someone else in much more articulate fashion. Um, but when you have those different rates of development coexisting it's like it's chaos yeah it's tough yeah, so it's chaos. yeah so I'm, I'm curious to see what we choose to build um technologically because in some ways you know tech is advancing so rapidly and it feels um inevitable like we don't even have a choice it's just going to be it's just going to be the thing yeah but in other ways, if we collectively find our like humans unable to flourish at all yeah. because of certain aspects of technology, we might have to adjust course in a significant, moderate to significant way. Um, I don't know if or how that could happen. I know. I don't know how things go any direction but forward i don't i don't know well, i don't know how I mean, you stop this momentum or just re- i don't i yeah i know it's I, it's a lot <laughs> yeah. but also you think of like the climate crisis and so we have a lot of things that are boiling to a head so to speak oh there's feedback in all of I our know, systems that says make adjustments yeah. and it, that's what drives me insane looking at systems that i can't change I can't fucking change them. Look, I, I fucking can't, okay? Little me here in my little podcast studio. I can't change these systems. But there's feedback in the systems that the people who can, it blows my mind that they ignore them. Because mm-hmm. if you ignore feedback like this in your personal life, shit's going to come to a head. Mm. If you ignore glaring warning signs shouting at you that like, hey, shit is unbalanced, yeah, you know, yeah. you're heading towards trouble, yeah. you have to make those adjustments in your personal life. Yeah. Or shit explodes. Yeah, but it's hard to receive the signal when you're in on the private island with low Facts. Wi-Fi signal. Mm, yeah, no, that's true. The <laughs> islands, yeah, they. It's hot. You're a lit. The satellite internet isn't fully working yet. Yeah, so mm, it's, you're right. It's tough. You're right. Let's to, order to more sushi. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I think I think when 
modern life affords the conveniences where we're not in fight or flight anymore. Yes, there's a, a perk to that, but also it desensitizes us to the relationship to the planet that yeah. that we have now, you know, that I personally know my relationship has been organized as I'm just taking, 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 yeah. and I'm not actively reciprocating um, in a more harmonious, mutual relationship with the environment. And so that's something I'm reflecting on. I know that also, like you said, me doing something individually is not the same as a big corporation changing their, you know, manufacturing system. But like, again, it's the both and. And I also think in order to connect to that sense of hope and just that posture of heart and mind, even just to feel the connection to the planet for for this for that sake alone right just to feel connected to this beautiful fucking planet you and live to on recognize yeah. this interdependent nature of reality yeah i like i'm it's worth it's worth it even for that alone and of course also for hopefully the like material impact that that can uh, facilitate yeah uh did you see kiss the ground documentary no. on netflix that is one i don't of- have a tv Oh, okay. Or a, um, oh, that's Netflix. right. I noticed yeah. that you had no TV in your yeah. living room. That's because you have a view. Um, <laughs> uh, I have to look at the TV to look outside the world. No! Um, but, uh, Come visit. But no, there's a beautiful documentary called Kiss the Ground. And a lot of times when I see documentaries on climate or any of our systems, I feel hopeless at the end of them. Even though at the mm. end they're like, here are some t- steps. I'm usually right, like, right. that's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Kiss the Ground. Really beautiful. It's about how our uh, agriculture practices, our monocrop farming, uh, destroying soil. soil. It's all taking and literally leaving no more soil, just dirt. It's dead. Wow, yeah. Um, but then they talk about there are regenerative farming practices that actually can be fully uh, financially good for the farmer and they regenerate, they give yeah. back to the earth and now we're creating a system where uh, the soil is healthy so it's pulling carbon from the air. And they laid out a model that actually was like, I mean, I'm not a farmer, so I can't do this. But they laid out a thing that said, if we actually start implementing this on a wider scale, um, we can be pulling so much carbon out of the air to account for all of humanity. And it's like, wow, there's a very real possible uh, something that could help. Yes. It, It gave me... It connected me to a little bit more hope. Yes. And those things are valuable because there's a yeah. lot of reasons to not feel hope. Well, and one more reason to connect with that hope is it helps provide the resilience to do the work that's necessary for each of us to do. Exactly. Independently and collectively. Like exactly. we have to find that social pod um, and that circle where we're creating these virtuous cycles of, you know, proactive conversation, growth, healing, um, getting involved, supporting each other in, in, you know, our own respective domains, because like without that sort of encouragement, like it, it would be unsustainable to attempt to, you know, create a more sustainable world. And that's part of what you're doing with your company, yes? Isn't that like a big, uh, will you tell us about it? I will. Movement Genius? Yes. Um, Movement Genius is an all-in-one place to care for your mind, your body, and your emotions. We provide mental health tools, stress relief techniques, full-body movement 
programs that are designed by therapists um, to improve well-being anytime, anywhere. You can, you know, open your phone or go on the computer and find a class that's three minutes or 45 minutes, seated, standing, lying down, whatever you need for your mind and body. And um, at the heart of it were two things. One, I noticed that most mental health tools only focused neck up. So they did a lot of, you know, recommend, recommending talk therapy, uh, medication, meditation, and all of those can be incredibly valuable. And I've practiced and utilized all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you don't include your body in the process, then your body still has these patterns, these habits, these emotion triggers, yeah, yeah deep you know, reactions to things, leaving you feeling stuck in between those therapy sessions mm. or disconnected because you, you're you changing your mindset up here, but your body still feels like it's highly activated mm. down here. Um, and so our tools are specifically to help strengthen the mind-body connection and to help you shift in your entire being so you get a much deeper, lasting transformation Um, But also if you just need it for like a quick five minute, you know, cool down or stress relief break, it does work for that as well. Mm. So that's, you know, one aspect. The other aspect is most wellness companies have been built by and for a very narrow set of people, namely folks who look like me, Um, you know, white people, uh, non-disabled, straight folks. Um, And so we really wanted to, my sister and I, Wanted to make sure from the ground up, our entire team, all the people represented on the platform, we're thinking about how to make culturally competent mental health care that's trauma-informed, that's justice-informed. So we're really trying to get specific about the tools we're offering. And you Mm -hmm. can find something that speaks to your experience, not just the general, you know, tactic that you're supposed to do like breathing technique and you and you hope that it works for everyone like no on some days for if anyone here deals with anxiety some days trying to force yourself into deep breathing is like the worst thing you can do um in other days it's it's you know it saves you in that moment so at the heart of this is people feeling empowered and equipped with tools so that whatever you're experiencing in your day-to-day life it meets you exactly where you are, um, and you can find something that can that can help you feel better in the moment, and also get back into your life and 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 flourish, improve the quality, improve your relationships, but also like now you have the now you have the juice to go out there and really um, contribute to the world. So yeah, it's it's been a journey as a founder for sure. Um, and I'm learning so so much every single day. Um, but when we hear on a daily basis that people are using these tools at any and every moment, sometimes someone's like, I do this, you know, shaking technique. I do it before, um, I get into my work day Mm -hmm. and it like, allows me to not freak out on my meetings or another person who uses a different tool, you know, after they have a tough conversation with their partner for them to say, we feel like we have our lives back Mm. and that we're not like discombobulated all the time is so important. Um, cause in our, in our, you know, to be alive in 2023 in the States, um, 
means like these stress relief techniques are not really optional. These are baseline routines for how to stay functioning, how to manage what it means to be alive in 2023. Yeah. And I I know myself included, um, I can get really stuck in the intellectual and in the mental processes because... I enjoy my intellect, and so I go to it often, and I don't even realize I am only trying to solve and process and confront things in my life intellectually, so I really resonate with what you're saying, and I'm going to have to check out some of these videos. Uh, One of my words that came through for this new year was somatic. Um, Yeah, was I recognized over the last few years I have really been in my head surviving a lot, and... Uh, last year I started to drop back into my heart in different ways and again, find hope and and other things. And I realized, whoa, I need some somatic practices. I need Mm -hmm. some practices that put me into my body Mm -hmm. to process this life that I'm feeling because I can make it all clear maybe in my head, but if my body isn't vibrating on that level, if my body isn't feeling unstressed, um, then I'm not actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Can I offer a few pointers. Yes, please. Um, Move as slowly as your body wants you to Mm. into the practices. Really honor your pace. If your body is, has been a bit, if you felt a bit disconnected for a while, it might be too intense or overwhelming to try and do some super immersive experience and then leave yourself in a state that feels unmanageable long term. And so I know that as performers, we're like, let's get in there and dig into it. And somatic work is often, you know, most transformative when you're really listening to your body's needs, honoring the pace that it's setting Mm. and building that trust again Mm. to know that if your body says, I can only do five minutes today. That you're gonna you're gonna respect that. Mm. Um, otherwise, it, it it adds to the the disconnection and distrust. Um, so that you know that's one thing. Mm. And then also, um, oh, I forgot the other. But I, I'll I can put together like a, a little a little playlist for you yeah, if you want. Cool. Um, I mean, it's it has been a uh, yeah, it's been something I need to move into this year. Oh yes. Okay. Remember. Remember back last year at the beginning of the conversation when we talked about Piaget's model of development? Yes. So I mentioned sensory motor stage zero to two. Now, during that time, we're actually absorbing our initial map of the world, our initial concepts of is the world safe or not? Are people safe or not? How do I know who's safe and who's not? And so that happens pre-verbally we literally don't have language for it so as we start to do different healing work later in life a lot of times trying to use talk therapy or journaling prevents us from accessing the stuff that's in there that didn't have language Mm. so it's actually oops sorry it's actually going to be accessed through sensory Mm. memory that's where movement becomes a really powerful Mm. tool. And I think when people hear movement, we automatically jump to like fitness or dance or even like, oh, you're talking about really interpretive, creative things. And I'm, I'm suggesting something as small as 
learning that it's okay to place a hand over your heart to hold yourself mm. because sometimes what we need to connect with is that sense of being held or the gentle sway that we, you know, hopefully received as an infant when someone was holding us and rocking us back and forth, mm. like subtle movements that help us expand after being in fight or flight and, and contracted, help us reconnect with huh, the ability to breathe and mm. signal to my mind, it's okay to calm down, right? So you can do both top down tools and also bottom up tools. Start, you know, learning how to work with your body first. If you feel like, okay, I've tried cognitive behavioral therapy. I've like done affirmations and my body's still freaking out. Sometimes you have to learn to speak the language of the body and say, okay, use this tool called progressive muscle relaxation where you tense everything and hold it and then release everything because it brings conscious awareness to your body signaling, oh, this is what relaxation feels like wow, I guess I have been tense. Wow, I guess it is okay to relax. And it helps your mind then catch up to that as well, right? So it's like learning. So good. It's learning the map of you. Yeah, and we're more than a mind. Yes, and and like these tools, my favorite part of the company is that I was like, I don't want any barriers for anyone. You don't need any equipment. You don't need a prescription. Yeah. And of course, fully support if you need a prescription for, sure. for a specific need. But like... For these tools. For these tools, it's your mind and body. Amazing. It's your pace. It's your well-being. And it doesn't have to look like anyone else's. And that's like, I think that's exciting for me to see more people engage with well-being in this way. I absolutely love it. And if you want to sign up. <laughs> yeah. Movement it's only 10 bucks. Dot com. Uh, move, yep, movementgenius.com. I'm sure many people here will sign up. I'll sign up. Um, yeah, I would love to see you in class. Yeah, that is beautiful. I love the mission that you're on. Uh, I love that you haven't fully given up acting, but just, just it's a less of a priority. I think that's healthy, but I also yeah. know you're a fucking incredible just artists. You're Do you think though? I yeah, don't know I think, about that. I think you can sing like a motherfucker. I think your dance skills are incredible. I think you can perform well and connect. I mean, part mm. of your ability to connect as a human, you can bring mm. that to acting, and I think mm. that's beautiful. Um, so I, I just don't give up your connection to your art. You can okay. I understand being in a process with the industry of sure, it. Sure, 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 sure. But I think you have it in you to be an expressive, connecting mm. human being. Thank you. And yes. uh, but I but I'm glad you're on this mission and purpose and priority right now of creating first of all a business, but also something that has such purpose for the well-being of all of us. Yes, and most empowering individuals. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for naming that. I will hold that <laughs> in my mind and body. Um, and and it actually is an important process that I'm going through of like, do I even know how to sing? Can I actually dance? Yeah. Did, is it, was I creative? Or yeah. did I just, you know, I'm yeah, like go, it, going through the whole thing of like, it, am I an artist? Nah, nah, maybe. Listen, that's a part of it is, yeah. is struggling with the identity of it. I, I made music for a long time and then for like a year and a half, I, 
I've been, I, I don't know what it is for me. Mm. I know it's in me. I know I enjoy it, mm. but I don't know what it is for me right now. Okay. And that's okay. I trust that the process will keep going. So I yeah. hope you do too. Yes. Put out a little note into the melody of the universe and to, to whoever that random person was who gave you hope 12 years ago, and they might just send you a DM tonight. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. I can't wait to hear what happens with that. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Allison. It's so fucking great to see it's you. It's great to see you. Yeah. Um, I, even though you might not think you're doing well, it looks like you're doing oh, well. Oh, good. Okay. You bring it out of me, huh? Okay. Okay. Call me anytime. Okay. <laughs> in the desert. That's right. I'm going to get some food. Thanks for listening to that Onami podcast. Onami is a creator-led educational platform that teaches you the things you wished you learned in school so you can thrive in adulthood. Onami lessons are completely free and they're taught by some of your favorite creators from around the internet. Head to onami.co to start learning about things like budgeting, investing, taxes, how to thrive in your relationships, how to find your dream job, and so much more. That's onami.co, O-N-O-M-Y.co. See you there.